Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most evaded our lives. I'm your host, conspiracy realist, Rod, <laughs> and I'm joined by... Born to write, Jess. Woo! Woo! Ric Flair. Woo! That was probably very loud. <laughs> That's fine. Um, hi everybody, welcome to Media Made. Um, as I just mentioned, the gimmick of the show is we talk about movies, music, and TV. Um, but the idea is... We have gone through a list. This is, this is music of 1990. Yeah, we're We've, at the 90s, baby. 90s, baby. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone through a list of every music album released in the year 1990, and we decided which one each of us had listened to the most. Yeah. This is another one of those episodes where the clear divide is evident <laughs> between yes. us. And also, the 90s, early 90s, is still not a good time for Jess and listening to things. <laughs> The, the amount, the reasons why my album is my album is not because I had a plethora of choices and I listened to this the most. True. And, yeah. <laughs> it was like one single drove it home for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yep, we're in the 90s. I think 1990, there were still some stuff from the 80s, like, bleeding over. Right. Like, music from the 80s, popular acts from the 80s still had hits. In 1990, 91, right? So, yeah. you know, like, there, we're, we're in that transition period. But I think we're lucky enough today to be talking about one of those albums that, like, really captured that early 90s sound that we you think of. Mm. Um, so I think we're at the, you know, at least we can, like, welcome the 90s appropriately. Yeah. With, with, with something that it's like, the minute you hear it, you're like, there's the 90s right there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that is a good introduction to Jess's album of 1990. The album that screams 90 from the very first second. <laughs> Released April 3rd, 1990, the debut album of one of the best female vocal groups of all time. We have Born to Sing by... In Vogue. I, I startled myself. It just <laughs> screamed jumped. at me. Listen to that. Got the hip-hop beat. That is a sample from the Yes song, Owner of a Lonely Heart, by the way. Uh. Wow! Owner of a Lonely Wow! <laughs> it's, it might as well be that. Here we go. We got the ladies coming in. So yeah, that is En Vogue. Um, they are a vocal R&B group. Yes. Um, built on harmonies and, and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me, where, where did you first hear... And Vogue, and why is it your album of 1990? In a car, driving somewhere, with my mother in charge of the radio. Or my dad, honestly. Probably on Kiss FM of Los Angeles fame. Doubt it was Kiss. <laughs> that's that's what I think of when I think of, like, contemporary rap and R&B. That's fair. You know, I think, like, my brain, um, just Kiss FM wasn't a thing until I was in high school. So Kiss FM wasn't a thing until, like... 2005. Yeah. Well, yeah there, there's another popular. Sorry, we're we're getting super local, ladies and gentlemen. But there's another Los Angeles hip hop station. I think it's K Day. K Day. Uh, 93.1 K Day. <laughs> I I don't even I don't know I don't know what ca- channel the it was on. It's pro- I want it, yeah. It's not an oldie. Like the 90s is not old. It is now. Ugh, that's fair. <laughs> the the stuff from 1990 is on the oldie station. Well, yeah. We are that oh, old. Man. Hit me, baby, one more time. Probably. <laughs> We're not there yet. That's a nostalgia track now. That's fair. 
Um, yeah, so I definitely just heard it growing up. Heard in vogue in general going growing up. Yeah. I, I will say, like, we'll find out very quickly. I didn't hear the whole album, but there are definitely songs in here that I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I could Sa- same sing with that me in too. my sleep. Yeah. Like, there's there's at least one song. It's like, yep, I've heard that song. I know that <laughs> song. Uh, I don't know where I heard it. Maybe in Eddie Murphy somewhere. Eddie Murphy movie somewhere. In Eddie Murphy. <laughs> At some point, I was in Eddie Murphy. Hey, there's a movie where they go inside Eddie Murphy's head, isn't there? Where they're little aliens in his head. <laughs> Maybe. Possibly Dave. Meet Dave. That's it. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Sorry, I was just thinking. Maybe the song is in Jones. Meet Dave. I don't know. Maybe the song is in Meet... Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I um, I can't say that I would like... If, if I heard a, an En Vogue song like on the radio, I couldn't say, that's En Vogue. The only time that En Vogue... The, the name actually like stuck out to me was I know that they sang the chorus to What a Man by Salt and Pepper. <laughs> what a man, what a man. That, that's Envogue, yeah. you know, because I like that song. And then you see the featuring Envogue in there. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay. So, oh, okay. Envogue's the singers, and Salt and Pepper are the rappers. <laughs> they are the rappers. That's. <laughs> yeah, that's my history with it. I just, you know, music and me, our history is murky. It's like I was always drunk when I was with music. What? What? <laughs> I don't know what you just said. Hey, kids, I'm a little sleepy right now. And when I get sleepy, I get a little weird. We're going to cut most of the weird out, so. I, I might. We're going to cut most of the weird out. So what you get will be the least of weird weird. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I do cut some weird stuff sometimes. Yeah, you do. All right, so let me jump in to the history of Envo, which I found actually pretty interesting. I learned way more about... um. Late 80s, early 90s R&B that I ever thought I'd learn in my life. Mm, teach me, sensei. Oh my gosh, you're going to cut that? <laughs> Is that the weird I will cut? I don't know. <laughs> if it's still in, we decided it wasn't weird enough. I was watching anime today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> in the late 80s, producers Denzel Foster and Thomas McElroy were making a name for themselves in the R&B scene by producing trend-setting acts like Channel 2 and Tony, Tony, Tony. Ah. Um, Tony, 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 <laughs> they were, have you heard of Tony, Tony, Tony? I've heard of. They're like boys to men light, I think. <laughs> That's in my, okay. I don't know, they, R&B fans come at me if the I'm The champagne wrong. of boys to men. <laughs> They're the Smirnoff ice to boys to men. <laughs> I don't know, it might be the other way around. Maybe boys to men is the, oh. the Tony, Tony, Tony light. <laughs> if anyone's listening to this and offended by our, our yeah. take on it. Yeah, S- send me a tweet, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm not an RB, like, I'm not a, the most learned. Mm. But, so, um, Foster McElroy, for their 1988 compilation album FM2, uh, they conceived the idea of a modern female vocal group in the vein of popular vocal acts from the 50s and 60s. Okay. They were putting together, like, it was like they were the credited artists, but they were bringing in their produced acts to kind of, you know, fill the album with tracks, okay. right? Like, featuring yeah. this ba- featuring this act. Okay, Featuring Tony, 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 Tony. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so they wanted to, they essentially wanted to create the new Supremes. Oh. Yeah. Like okay. a Supremes for the nineties. Mm. According to McElroy, quote, we wanted to, we wanted the girls to be beautiful, but not too beautiful, intelligent, but not nerds or anything. And more than anything else, we, when they sang, we wanted people to go, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's their mentality with building and Vogue. Hmm, you know what that makes me think of? What? Making the band. What is that? Oh, we're going to have a YouTube deep dive later. What is, what is Making that? a band was, uh, is basically the precursor to like all the American Idol voice shows and stuff, except it was run by P. Diddy, or was he Puff Daddy at that point? 
James, Sean Combs. I don't know. He has many names. Diddy. And he might have just been Diddlums. Nope. <laughs> That's my favorite name. P. Diddlums. <laughs> Sir Didymus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shout out to Labyrinth. Woo! Sir Didymus. <laughs> but basically, it was just like making of the band. They would just choose. Like, you've never heard of um, O-Town? Nope. Or, okay, never mind. I'm not going to go down this road because I'm going to say a name. I've been to O-Town. Oh, dear. I've been <laughs> to an O-Town concert. O-Town concert was the, fir- was the first concert I ever went to. Oh, cool. I've only been to four concerts in my whole life, though, so. 30 years old. Three of them were with me. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. What were we saying? Building ba- the band. Building the band. It's basically just like, we're just going to find so, the people, like, not have talent. We're just going to, this is what we want. If you don't split in this, bah. So it's like a reality show, but it's like. Without the show. It's just building a yeah. vocal group, basically. Yes. Okay, got it. Doing it by the numbers. Yeah. It's like, when when I think of, like, late 90s pop, right? Backstreet mm-hmm. Boys and Sync, 98 Degrees, right? Those were like manufactured bands. Yeah. Right? And in the 70s, they did the same thing. The Monkees, a manufactured band. Mm. They just found pretty young people who could sing, put them in a band together, right? It's fair. Um, and then I, I friggin' the, the Jacksons weren't to that, but it was almost, you know. Yeah, it was genetics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that one, the, the dad built that. That. The dad built the band. Literally. Yeah. But I'm sure. I but mean, yeah, the, the Hansons know, did the same. True. Yeah. The Partridge family. But yeah, so it, it, <laughs> this is not un, unheard of in, in pop and R&B is right. to find pretty young people to sing That's together true. into a band. Can I do that? Build a band. Just find pretty young people to sing. Just it'll be caroling all the year, <laughs> oh, all gosh. through the year. Gross. <laughs> Over 3,000 women auditioned for the group, but the final three came down to Cindy Heron, Maxine Jones, and Don Robinson. All right. Heron had worked as a background vocalist, a model, and an actress before joining the group. Uh, she was, like, the most famous. Like, as she, like I guess, so this, all of this went down in Oakland, O-Town. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> like, Heron was, like, a local celebrity. Like, oh, people knew okay. who she was. Heron and Jones had actually previously worked together on a theater production. Cool. Um, and then this was Robinson's first professional gig as she had been recently discovered by a talent scout at a concert. Oh, yeah. how old is she? She must have been like 18 or something. Mm. Maybe mid-20s or early okay. 20s. Um, I was. This was really hard for me to research because mm. there wasn't a lot of information on Robinson's like early career. Mm-hmm. But I watched a podcast that she did just recently. Huh. And she described... Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Miss <laughs> Robinson. She seemed like a really cool person. But um, she described going to a concert with a friend and singing. And she was approached by a man and said, Hey, are you a singer? Are you an actress? Or are you a model or something like that? And she thought she was being picked up on. Yeah. But he kept asking, like he persisted and told her that he was putting together a group or his friends were. Huh. And so she was just like, yeah, I talked to him for like an hour and then I had him come to my parents' house to listen to me audition and I got, I got the part. <laughs> That's pretty sick. Yeah. So while the group was originally conceived as a trio, Foster McElroy decided to create a quartet after hearing the audition of Terry Ellis, whose plane had been late from Houston, Texas, to audition. So she came in late. They they, they listened to her anyway. They were like, she's a keeper. Nice. Let's bring her in. Put her in the group. Um, Ellis had, had sung primarily at the Prairie View A&M University as a member of the Marching Storm Band. Hmm. And interestingly, Heron, uh, Cindy Heron, had auditioned for Ellis's band before Envogue started. Huh. So it was, you know, they'd all crossed paths <laughs> at some point. And I think 
Don Robinson said that she met Maxine Jones at a hair salon, like in <laughs> in, Oak- in Oakland one day. The smallest kind of world. Yeah. So it's just like ships in the night. <laughs> <laughs> like one day, one day, our destiny is not now. Later. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Um. So the the band initially called themselves For You. So the number four dash U. Okay. What letter U? Um, but they changed the name to Vogue, just just Vogue, and then they were credited as Vogue on Foster McElroy's compilation. Right, right, right. In 1988, <clears throat> after learning that another band called themselves Vogue, they became En Vogue. <laughs> so was there any specific reason? What does En Vogue mean? Isn't it like in style? Possibly. Like there's Vogue magazine, and so if you are in vogue, you're like, you know, you're in style. Oh, that you're makes in sense. fashion. French is but, the hardest language but they're not for spell- dyslexics. It's not spelled in vogue, it's en vogue. E-N. E-N, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just stylistic. Or is E-N-N in French? I don't know. <laughs> I ain't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, they entered the studio to record their debut album in August 1989 and wrapped up in December of the same year. And Hey, hey I entered the world in August 1989. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> you... <laughs> they were possibly singing while my mother was evicting me. Ooh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Happy birthday, Envoke. <laughs> Don't know if that's going to make it. <laughs> also on that fence for weird. Like, Is it too weird? We'll decide later. Um, and that's Born to Sing. Born to Sing was, was released in, in 1990, and they were off to the races. They did it. They did it. They were born to sing. They were born to sing. They, they, that, like the, I think like the first song we're going to talk about, um, we wanted to do a few things with the first song. Because mm-hmm. what we do is we're not going to listen to the whole album today. No. We'd be here forever. Yes. But we did pick out uh, four tracks to just sample the album. Mm-hmm. And for the first track, we needed to show these women's vocal ability, and we needed to show... The genre, like, trend setting that they were doing. Right, right, right. Right, because this album is so 90s. At least it Man. starts that way. Um, so we're going we're gonna to start off things with the song Strange, which is the first real song on the album. There's, a, there's an opening. Yeah. Which is like, it was like a skit. They did skits yeah. on albums sometimes. Yeah. I don't even remember. Was it just them at a party or something? Yeah, it was just Checking them at a Man. party. Yeah. Scoping the boys. Scoping them. Yes. But the song, but the, the album actually starts with Strange. So low, 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 low. So high, 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 high. So wide. So wide. And it's looking mighty strange. Okay, so right off the bat, it starts off with little bit of vocal harmonizing, acapella, straight into a freaking rap. <laughs> this is, I think this is the first time hip-hop's been in ma- Media Made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so as well. Yes. Like, hip-hop was a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, for the, most of the 80s, it was a thing. But it was an underground thing. Yeah. Uh, Starting to ru- peak above the yeah, ground Yeah, run, run DMC, mainstream success mm-hmm. a little bit with crossover stuff. Um, Vanilla Ice had just, I think, had just come out or would be coming out very soon. Mm. And he was, like, one of the biggest crossover hits of the time. Um, but I think 1990 is when hip hop really started to penetrate the mainstream. Yeah. No, and I- you can hear it right here with like, you got the hip hop beats. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she straight up raps at the beginning. 
So Foster McElroy, they envision an entertainment unit with interchangeable but not identical parts in which every member could qualify to take the lead on any given number, right? What? Basically, they, they wanted to make sure that every woman in the band was equally strong at singing. Got it. So that anybody could do the lead if they needed to. You okay. know, there wasn't like, it, it wasn't like one singer and then three background singers. It was Got like it. four lead singers who would like cycle through. Right. Everyone right. had their place. Mm-hmm. And you can hear it in this song, like with the verses. So that's, that's Maxine singing the verses. Yeah. Oh, were you at- oh, Hold on. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Dawn to jump in. She does the bridge. This is the bridge. That's the bridge, and that's Don Robinson singing. Yeah. So yeah, it's basically every singer is kind of like passing the baton off yeah. to do the lead. Right. And then when the chorus hits, they're all singing together and they're harmonizing. Yeah. With the very en vogue sound. Mm-hmm. Um, another another <laughs> This song making your groove. So <laughs> Another characteristic of the song that I enjoyed is this song to me is an example of New Jack Swing, mm. which is a um, a genre of R and B subgenre of R and B that was becoming popular at this time. Um, it is, in, in fact, New Jack Swing was a sound that Foster McElroy personally helped pioneer in the late eighties. Yeah, so Tony 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 is like a pioneer in New Jack Swing. Okay. New Jack Swing can be characterized as an R&B style vocals sung over hip hop and dance style beats. Okay. Instrumentation. Got it. So you can hear it in this song. You get the the drum machine. Yeah. Right? The the um record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just R&B singing over it. Yeah. So acts like um Keith Sweat, mm. Bill Bibb DeVoe. Mm. All new Jack Swing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. And to me, and it like, was definitely on the upswing. Yeah, and I think that's like, to me, like New Jack Swing is like, it's like a time capsule for music. You know, like you hear it, it's like 1987 to like 1995. It's like <laughs> the heyday of it, and I love it. I love, I love New Jack Swing. Yeah, it's fun, and it, it the beats are good. <laughs> the yeah. beats are good, and like even the different stylizations of like. How they're rapping and how they're singing each point and like the the delivery, the rhythm, I guess, of the words. Delivery? Cadence? Cadence! That's the word of Hyrule. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Hey, shout out to Cadence Viral. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the cadence on, on some of the things, like I obviously listen to it while reading the lyrics and then I also like listen to it without reading the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Then I also just read the lyrics and sometimes especially um it was hard to be like, mm, how are you fitting all these words into yeah. this? But they do an admirable job they with do. their cadence. Anything about the lyrics that jumped out to you? I don't like the song. <laughs> <laughs> Lyrically. Why not? It's okay. It's not a bad song. It's not a bad song. But I was like, oh okay, so the song is strange and basically uh what is strange is her man, their man. They're they're suspicious of the man, the man that is in a relationship with the her, but there are four her singing. So we're just gonna say they're talking a, a couple, <laughs> and the girl they're like the, the, they're like the muses from uh, from Hercules. <laughs> it's like they all speak for one entity. Yes. Okay. So uh, basically, they're talking about Meg. 
And Meg has some suspicions uh, about Herc because (laughs) Herc is acting a little strange. And it's perfectly fine. Like, it's basically all of the verses um, and the bridge is... No. Basically all the verses, like, you know, when it's just like, oh, I saw you in town buying roses, but when you came home, all I got was a hello. It's like Mm. all the very um, classic, quote-unquote, cliched marks of, I'm suspicious you're acting like you shouldn't like there are many songs that are about it like Infidel- say my name there, there are many songs on this album about mm-hmm. that. yes but like <laughs> i like didn't write notes for the song until i got to the end um specifically which the the whole bridge is very much like mm. so the bridge is my suspicions are killing me but i don't want to point my fingers at, i don't want to point my finger at you you say i shouldn't place the blame but it seems you're playing games how much longer must i tolerate this madness and my note is like it literally it says like what what do you mean how much longer <laughs> because what do you mean who's making you tolerate this madness you're doing get up and and go and um even okay and then that's why the rap uh the ending rap uh says i can't say when but it seems like uh but it seems it all began when i felt an icy tingle down my spine you say it's in my mind so i must resolve to find little pieces uh of the puzzle that fit so i'm gonna stop there Basically, and I'm going to read a little bit more after, but it's saying, like, you're saying, like, I don't know. I'm getting a little feeling from you. You're telling me it's my mind. And so so I'm going to, I resolve. He's gaslighting her. Yeah. But also, I resolve to find little pieces. Like, girl or man, if you are in a relationship and you can't trust your partner, there's a problem. Even if they are not cheating, if you can't trust any, get out. No. What are you doing? Yeah. Why do you mean tolerating this? No, I'm not for this. Like, you are being toxic or they are being toxic. I don't understand. Like, if you can't trust your person and you can't have a conversation with them and not feel like they're not being like, great, what are you doing? And then one of the lines in the the rap, though, that I, like, really like, that being said, it says, and I think, um, and I think you're soon going to be a small part of history. And that's petty and beautiful. Yeah. But was, get to that part sooner, friend. I feel like... The way the way you read that to me, it seemed like almost like I I don't trust you and I should be leaving, but like he's like touching her and like there's tingling on her spine and stuff like that. Like he's still a sensual man, and that's like something that she can't like fully break away from yet, you know what I mean? Like she likes the way he he, you know, touches her. I don't know. <laughs> no no, continue. I'm here for this. What else? She's endeared to him by his sensuality. There's um, another song called The Other Girl that like says stuff like, not by Invoke. It's like Hazley and someone else. But Hasley? Don't care. I mean, I care. It's your name. But <laughs> that it does that. Like, basically, it's just like, I know you're cheating on me. But every time I get to get up to leave, I forget how good you are at loving me. Mm. And that's why I stay. And I'm like, that's a that, stupid reason to stay. A, that's a toxic relationship. <laughs> don't do that. Don't I do mean, that. to each your own, but please don't. Yeah. Please don't let that be your own. I, I totally <laughs> Hey, agree. kids. No. Yeah, but speaking about that rap, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't find out who does the rap in that song. But mm-hmm. whoever it is, is like putting on a weird accent. And you, I, yeah. I want to play it for a second. like a fake british accent yeah and you were saying that that's like a common thing isn't it 
Yeah, well, it makes me think of like RuPaul, mm. um, because I don't look here. Even as I say that, my brain is like, have you actually heard him sing? And my brain is like, I feel like I have. Or uh, it, it feels very much like an act, like yeah. a very distinctive act. Yeah. And so I think even then, like the the lyrics in the rap that you just read mm-hmm. are read in such a playful way that uh... it's still the woman of the song, the speaker, is still holding the power. Like, she can break off from this man anytime she wants, but she keeps him around because she's using him. Yeah, no. I, for his loving. I agree. I see that. Yeah. I just, that's one of the things that's like, nah, it's toxic. Get out of that. I agree. Like, But at the same time, this this song and many others on the album all have the theme of, like, being, it's all about, like, being suspicious of your man or of men or, like, scoping out men or, like, examining men. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, picking them apart. Uh, dissecting their intentions. It's very much the female gaze, an answer to the male gaze. Yeah. Bop, bop, bop. <laughs> and so, in some way, it's like, the power is with the woman, right? Mm-hmm. The woman's gaze. Like, it's it's about... This song, this album, the whole thing is really... It's about women. Yeah. Right? And it's like women <laughs> singing about women. And that's cool. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't know. Mm. It's, it's very samey. Yeah, I, is it? It's not women singing about women as much as it's women singing about men. But I hear what you're saying. I can't, hear what you're saying. Can't live with them, can't live without them. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but it, at the same time, I think there is an element of these are strong women, like asserting their strength. Yeah. Did they write the songs, or were they written for them? I mean, I almost got that information, and then I didn't. Um, the writers for all the songs are credited to Foster McElroy and Invoke. Okay. So. Who knows? It could, it could be the two men. It could be the four women. It could, it could be, be all a mix. Six. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Uh, another interesting fact about Strange is that it was remixed and re-released as a, as a single for the 1991 Remix to Sing EP. Uh, so the next year. And Vogue released a remix album called Remix to Sing, which basically remixed most of the songs on Board to Sing huh. for different styles. Styles. Okay. Um, a commercial single was never officially released, and the song was only serviced to dance clubs in the U.S. and U.K. Huh. And it peaked at number 44 on the U.S. Billboard charts. Okay. Um, I would actually like to play a, a, a clip of that. <laughs> a clip of a remix, Strange? Yeah, it is Strange, parentheses, house remix. Okay. And like... I just got done gushing about how like '90s strange sounds. Mm-hmm. They just to show the power of production. They took a very '90s sounding song and made it sound so '80s, <laughs> like '80s dance club. Oh yeah, that is straight up '80s house right yeah. there. Let me get to the, uh, the like the verse. This, <laughs> you're so cute. That is very different. Yeah. It almost seems like they're not singing for this song. It sounds Just forced. Little, yeah. It just seems out of place. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that's that's a fun little aside. <laughs> um, let's move on to the next song. Ah. And this is the song that I think everyone knows. It's called Hold On. Got another vocal 
acapella. We're going to listen to this whole thing, kids, because they never play this version on the radio. I mean, just the opening. you enjoyed that uh rendition of media made karaoke (laughs) 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 oh hey there you go coming in with the uh the sample beat from the payback by uh um james brown but uh so what you just heard was an acapella rendition of the motown standard who's loving you written by Smokey robinson originally recorded by his group the miracles um, as just said, they never play that version on the radio. They don't. They just cut that whole thing out. Why? <laughs> All right, so this is a song, Hold On. Um, who you're hearing right now singing is Cindy. Cindy Heron. I want you to know every time you just say Cindy, I think of Scary Movie. Okay. That's it. Just Cindy. Why? So I don't have a whole lot of uh, notes on this song. Um, it is the biggest hit off the album. Yes. <laughs> um, but I feel like this is this is the song, like, you you play this for every, anybody, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that song. Yeah. Like, oh, I know that song. Oh, that's in the book? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have any, any interesting stories about the song? <laughs> Lyrics? Even? This whole song is a questionable how to hold on to a man. <laughs> Another man song. Yeah, that's why I was like, mm. specifically the songs we're going to talk about are all, like, mostly about, like, men. So, like... I, like, made note of a couple of things. So, um, verse two. So, verse one, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> verse two, the art of playing games now is not the hearts you break. It's bound uh, good love you make. When his heart is on fire, give him love every day. Remember, he needs space. Be patient, and he'll give you his heart, too. That sounds like it was written by men. <laughs> A Foster McCoroy, we're on to you. <laughs> like, I was reading this, and I was like, mm, okay, I guess. Then I skipped to three, and it's, uh, hold on to your love, baby. Trust and honesty, too, must be a golden rule. You'll feel the strength of passion in your soul burn so deeply within. Oh, the magic that you two share. This line. So sacrifice and show how much you care. Don't waste your time. Some of those are good rules yeah, to live yeah. by. Yeah, Le- legit. I have right here, trust and honesty too must be a golden rule. I put helpful hints. Yeah. Then, so sacrifice and show him, uh, and show how you, how much you care. I literally, okay, but what is he doing to make this work? Because a lot of this is like, because where it says don't waste your time, right? Like, because going into each chorus, it's, uh, it's don't waste your time fighting, oh, where'd you go? Uh, don't waste your time fighting blind, um, minded thoughts of despair, hold on to your love. So, it's and even before it's just like hey, uh, the, that's why I'll go back to the first verse because the first verse says uh, after we're talking about all these things you have to sacrifice and like don't waste time the first verse says I treated you bad wrong my dear 
And you're like, oh, what did you do? Oh, my first mistake was I wanted too much time. I had to have him morning, noon, and night. Uh, if I would have known then the things that I know now, I might not have lost uh, the time I complain about. Don't waste your time fighting blind-minded. So basically it's like, oh man, I lost him. My mistake was that I was too on him and I should have given him space. Second verse is trust, uh, give him space. And then he'll heart will grow. His heart will grow for you <laughs> or yeah, give him yeah. space. And that's how you'll hold on to him. And then trust is trust is good, but also sacrifice. So he knows you care. Um, and that's how you'll hold on to your man. Well, it's- and then the end where we're just saying, hold on to your love over and over again, hold on to your love parenthetical. If you love him, if you need him, hold on to your love. Oh, parenthetical. If you really want him, just keep the fire burning at home. Hold on. Like, it's just, I get it. I get it. And I'm not like, I will sing the song till the cows come home. <laughs> it's so catchy. I love it. But when I sit there and stare at it, like I read it, I'm like, a relationship is two people. <laughs> but I feel like the song is trying to portray the like happy medium that people must find in a relationship, right? It's like- Where do you see a medium? I, no, I'm saying the song is like, you know, like- Pursue him, but don't pursue him too much. Like, give him some space, but not too much space. Hold on, but don't hold on too hard. All right, I'm gonna give you some space right now, Mister. Got to preserve that love, but don't try too hard, right? Like, I'm not saying that any of those things are good. <laughs> those are not those are not life lessons that I live by in my relationship. I feel like they're very superficial. Yeah, but they are prevailing thoughts. There is a popular, I think it's a '70s song called "Hold On Loosely." <laughs> that's that's the song. Hold on loosely. And don't let go. <laughs> right? Yeah. I just well, I know, and I totally get what you're saying, right? Like it's saying If you like, hold on too tight, you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna hurt somebody. But it's so what? weird that it's still saying, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So I get what they're saying. I'm not saying it, it's it's young people talking about what they think love is. You That's know, fair. And, and and just like with Strange, these aren't necessarily um I don't think these are rules that will create a successful relationship. Yeah. And and those sometimes those things come with maturity. Yeah. And pop music is for the young. So <laughs> excuse me, I still listen to pop. Are I you know. saying I'm young? Yes. I'm young. I'm young. I'm I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna fight, right? Like this is just me reading the lyrics outside of like hearing the music because I think that's important to do because right like yeah. songs are poetry so they're supposed to say something right uh and just the thing that you're saying it's saying here I'm like and oh, what, I'm- what they said here was shallow <laughs> yes no no offense in vogue but I still love your your hip-hop harmonies as shallow as this song was it was the biggest set on the album yeah it peaked number five in the UK number two on the Billboard Hot 100 charts in the US in addition the song reached number one on the Billboard Dance Club songs and hot R&B hip-hop songs charts did they remix this for they, the club? They did. Um, I don't have that version. That's though. fair. <laughs> I didn't expect you to. <laughs> uh, and in 2017, Hold On was ranked number four on Spin Magazine's uh, The 30 Best 90s R&B Songs of All Time. Oh, cool. So, good job, Ben Vogue. Good job, In Vogue. Sound as you say Ben Vogue. Ben Vogue. Ben Biv de Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> ben Biv Kylie Minogue. <laughs> um... Want to move on to the next song? Okay. So we're going to take a little break. We, we've done some New Jack Swing, some R&B, some hip-hop beats. Um, but we're going to we're gonna take a little diversion. Um, for some reason, you know, th- th- this is weird, okay? So <laughs> Not weird for me. I get it. 
I get what they're doing. I totally get it. But it's just, it is, I imagine you buy this song in 1990, you pop it into your CD player or your, your you know, your cassette, you, you pop the cassette into your car and you're listening to it and you know, you hear strange and you hold on and you're swaying your head. And then the song Boogie Woogie Boogle Boy gets played <laughs> and you're like, what is this? Um, so let me just to introduce this song a little bit before we play it. Uh, Boogie Woogie Boogle Boy. <laughs> Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy is a 1941 song performed by the Andrews Sisters, written for the Albert and Cas- Abbott and Costello comedy film Buck Privates. <laughs> it's, a, it's a World War II era like pop song. Mm. And I just want to play a little bit of that before um, okay. I play the, the original version. Got yeah, it, this got is it. the original. Got that bugle. Reveille. Boogie Oogie. He was Here we go. a famous trumpet man from all Chicago way. He had it's the Andrews sisters. They were the en vogue of their time. He was a top <laughs> man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing Reveille. He's the boogie woogie boogie woogie boy, boy, boy from Cavity B. I don't know. Company B? Company B. Anyway, that's enough of Andrews sisters. <laughs> so. I can understand the lineage of the Andrew sisters, like being passed on through the era mm-hmm. of like prominent female vocal groups, right? right. Supremes in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, who was who was D- Diana Ross? What was she in? Diana Ross and the Pips. Well, no, that's that was Gladys Knight's in the Pips. No, D- Diana Ross was in what band? Oh, was she in the Supremes? No, male? No. Diana Ross was in the in the. She in was the in the Supremes. Yeah, I was imagining. Te- I was hearing Tina Turner, and the, and and then you get to invoke right, right. Like the, you connect the dots. They yeah. reach there. It to- makes total sense, and yeah. I can understand why Envogue would cover the Andrew sisters on the album. It just is silly. Here's how it starts. Hey, you guys, remember the the Andrew sisters? Yeah, uh, he was a famous trumpet man from about Chicago. Yeah, yeah, what about it? Well, I like the song. I think we should do it. No, uh-uh. Uh-uh. not that version. Nuh-uh. Well, what version? Okay, so before they go into their version, um, I, I did research and I was like, okay, which En Vogue member is the one suggesting that they <laughs> sing Andrew Sisters? It was Cindy Heron <laughs> um, suggesting that they do the song. Where? And then they, uh, they, break the song? In, they break into this version. We'll listen to the whole thing. This one. Denny, drop that beat. He was a sexy, sexy lover boy. Boogie Woogie Hip Hop Boy from Company B. He's got that hip hop. So, uh, creative. That's New Jack Swing. (laughs) I I would say it's like super hip hop. Well, I guess it's it's New Jack Swing. It's got that R&B in there. But creative. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Fun. Uh They were having some fun. Yeah. It's just, it was funny. We we re-listened to this whole album just to figure out what songs we wanted to talk about. And, uh, like... From we listened to this what like two years ago, a year uh, ago, or something? it was a while, yeah, yeah. And like I remembered no songs from the album other than <laughs> Hold On and Boogie Woogie Boogle Boy, <laughs> just because it's so out there, yeah, out of love field, right? Yeah, I and you know what? I uh, I also want to say like I like that this is in here because it's very much the like artists are artists kind of thing, and you know, they yeah. like it's like when Taylor Swift covered 
like a Linkin Park song at a concert when she was still doing country music at 17. Yeah. You know, like it's things like that where it's just very much like. Or Lady Gaga doing like a full vocal album like a few years ago. Like yeah. doing in like the style of uh what who who's uh uh Mary Poppins? Uh Andrews. Mary Andrews? No. Nope. You just now it's gone. Yeah. Something the, Andrews. Andrews sister? No. Nope. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, somebody's gonna kill me. Julie. Julie Andrews. Yeah. So Lady Gaga doing like a Julie Andrews inspired vocal mm. album a few years ago. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like they're yeah. They're honoring their roots. I think the the thing that like really surprised me is this is like their debut album and yeah. their company let them do that. Right. Because that's just kind of that's a thing that you do when you have you allow your artists to do when you're on the label anyway. Yeah. When they have like clout for less <laughs> for lack of a better word. In that that Don Robinson interview that I watched, like something that she talked about was like she didn't do any formal vocal training, mm-hmm. right? She didn't have a, a vocal teacher or anything like that. Her vocal teacher were old records that her dad bought. Yeah. So they would just put, you know, she put the records on and everything from like probably the Supremes to Heart, you know, mm. um, rock, R and B, soul, like, and that's what taught her how to sing. Yeah. And so I, I get it. They yeah. they want to, you know, they want to honor those. Those influences. Yeah. So it's it's a fun little song, mm-hmm. and it's a little silly. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, En Vogue can be seen performing this song live in the 1992 film Aces, Iron Eagle 3. What's that? It's a, I think Iron Eagle is a is a is like a Top Gun ripoff. Oh, we <laughs> it, love good Top Gun ripoffs. Remember seen... that one we watched with Freddie Prince Jr. in it? Oh, friggin'. <laughs> The, the video game movie? Yes. Oh, what movie was that? I don't uh, remember. It was so bad. Wing Commander. Oh, gosh. No, this is like, it was, I think Sylvester Stallone starred in the first Iron Eagle. And this was like the third one. He's not even there. <laughs> but they're at like this 40s inspired like cigar, like, you know, like a like a cigarette club type thing, mm-hmm. right? And the two Gentlemen's main, Club. And they're, they're, the two main characters are sitting at like a cocktail uh, table, mm-hmm. and you could see En Vogue up there singing this song, dressed in in a very like '40s like pinup girl style. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd so. watch a clip of that. <laughs> Let's just put it on our hey, Twitter for this mo- this week at Media Made Show on Twitter. It's pro- <laughs> uh, probably if it'll probably be up there this week. Check it out. <laughs> I like that we're just planning them now. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're gonna close out uh, "Born to Sing" with one final song, and that song is "Time Goes On." Tick tick. So there's a few reasons we wanted to play this song. Um, <laughs> when the lyrics come in, I'll let Jess uh, go ahead and introduce it. Why? 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 Yeah. Um, as we were re-listening to this and reading along the lyrics, there are some verses that very much just feel like Corona. Coronavirus. <laughs> Coronavirus. COVID-19. It's just talking about that. And some that feel like they're talking about the social justice issues that we are currently going yep. through. Yep, so here, here are the girls singing. Time goes on, on and on, never stops, time goes on, and they just keep repeating it over and over and, then I think and over again. So it's, it's like mild, like 
it's like you know mild poetry yeah. that's like so ambiguous <laughs> that it could fit any situation yeah so any anything that the listener brings into it is gonna like come yeah. to the forefront so we're we're listening to this during the mm. uh the worst month of the pandemic and january all, 2021 all we can think about is COVID 19 and this song just reminds us of the issues yes. that we're just sitting there just like it never stops. Yes. Time and it's just, goes on. Uh, on so and on. It seems like it seems forever since it began. It's almost been a year. So full of mysteries we don't understand. Fair. Searching for answers and remedies. Yes, we are. As problems plague us like enemy. Round and round in circles we go. But yeah, like you said, it could apply to civil rights issues. Yeah. It could apply oh, to... Civil uh, rights issues a different verse in my mind, but continue. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, th- that can apply to being in a bad relationship. Yep. You know, the, the woman who's being told to hold on yeah. to her man. Like, th- this is what it's like for her, right? Yeah. That's true. Like, it's ve- it is very, like, surface. Like, it can be placed over anything. Yes. Yeah. But it was just fun to sit there and be like, ah. Oh. And then the second verse... So many blinded by life today. When will we realize that love's the only way? It's time to wake up because times have changed. Time waits for no one. It's a critical game. Round and round in circles we go. Yeah. Which is why I was like, mm, you're right. Times have changed. But everything's the same. And then specifically, take uh, take care of pr- business. Don't procrastinate. We must decide on what becomes our fate. And that just makes me feel like. Somebody's yelling at me from doing nothing for like nine months while sitting at yeah. home. Or let's take time. We need more unity. Round and round in circles we go. And I'm like, ah, that's very. You're not wrong. No, especially. Does that connect to anything? It. No, I'm saying like the song just is just like. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. What's the point, lady? Like, what are you yeah. saying? As a, as a whole, right? When we step back and we don't go like, oh, here are these connections to these things that are happening right now. Like, what was the point of the song? And yeah. I think it is just to say even that, right? It's like. Nothing new under the sun. And I think that that's the point of the song. Yeah. That it's just like, tick, tock, time goes on. The thing that I'm saying right now is about something completely different, but I bet you think it's something else. The, the, the principles that we need to rally behind are the same principles we'll be rallying behind in 30 years. Of- I don't want that to be true. Unfortunately, I think that's, that's the existential uh, point of the song, you know? <clears throat> Why does it hurt to be human? <laughs> Why does it hurt so much? <laughs> um, another reason I wanted to play this song is because I feel like it is emblematic of definitely the last half of Born to Sing, okay? Mm. It's not a bad song. You put this on, you just listen to it, it's just like, it's got a nice groove, bands, you, you know, you, you, you rock. Mm-hmm. Totally pleasant to listen to. Yeah. You put this on, like, in the background of a party. It's going to, like, set the mood. No yeah. one's going to complain. Everyone's going to be vibing, you know, yeah. talking, hanging out. No problems. But the problem is, like, when you actively try to listen to it, it's so boring. It is. Honestly, <clears throat> there I have, like, the, the lyrics just pasted on a page. And there is two and a half pages of just on and on, time goes on, never stops, just goes on. The last probably two or three minutes of the song is just that refrain said over and over again. Yep. And, like, that's not the only song that feels that way, yeah. right? I would say, like, basically the entire second half of this album is songs just like this, where it is kind of monotonous, mm-hmm. um, not bad, but not extraordinary in any way. Yeah. It is not an active listen. It's just, just goes on and on and yeah. on. Yeah. And it's, like, only good as background music. Yeah. I, I mean, rude. But I'm sorry. Invoke. Some of some of them, yeah. Like, there's a reason there was one hit. Yeah. 
And so it's like these people are way more talented than this. Yeah, they are. I think that's the thing. It was like you guys, I mean, again, it was the first album. They had to like probably bow to a lot of like the ideas of their label. And even if they didn't, they were young and this was their first like go, well, for most of them. Yeah. You know, so like safe choices all around. But either way, it's just, it's not, most of this album is just such, it's just like filler. It's not memorable in any way. And I think that's its biggest detriment is um, these, these songs just don't, don't mean anything. Yeah, and they don't. You don't. You you like in one out in one ear out the other. Um, you you go away from this album. You walk away from it. and You're just like, what? What songs did we even listen to? <laughs> what was that? I can't even. Like we we were talking about planning, and we confused the the song we talked about, Strange, with another song yeah. that dealt with the same issues that sounded the exact same. Yeah, we were like, wait, which song did we say that we were gonna do? Like, oh no, that one. Yeah. <laughs> like all those things said about the album. About it being like very monotonous and and not still better than I can't remember the name Anita Baker Anita Baker yeah it, it, it's it's more um, compared to Anita Baker's album it's more modern it's a modern ver- it's a it's a contemporary version of Anita Baker it, it, Anita Baker was like such like a, like old people were listening to that at the time yeah. like young people at least were listening to this when mm. it came out. Young people, I don't think, were, like, flocking to Anita Baker. As good as it was. Yeah. It was all about a happy woman yeah. who just gotten married. Th- this this album at least has a young sound. Mm-hmm. A new sound. But it's just not there. Yeah. Um, but I do want to, you know, uh, have a little bit f- of fun with Time Goes On. Um, I have another remix from oh. the remix to sing or whatever. Born to Remix or whatever that album yeah. was called. <laughs> um, this is Time Goes On, the dance remix. What we're going to do right here is go back. They're going to go back. Way back. back Way back. I kind of like this one a little better because it's a little bit more, like, it's a little bit more contemporary. He's giving me cha-cha slide fields. Oh, it does have a little <laughs> bit of that. It totally does. This is the wedding mix. <laughs> like, you're going to dance at a wedding. This is dance. Yeah, it's, it, now, now that we're getting into it, it sounds a little uh, slower. I don't know. It seems discordant. Like the music and the singing just doesn't match up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> them orchids is what we call those in the business. Orchids. Sounded like the the mu- the instrument was questioning. <laughs> this is the direction you want to go. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's time goes on the dance remix. Um, how did Born to Sing do? Commercially. Oh, well. Okay. It sounded like you were asking me. <laughs> I was, I was like, I don't have the notes, but let me guess. I think that it did moderately well, uh, or people said that it was like, what was the thing that was said about Whitney? Like, <laughs> a very bland <laughs> first, or unchallenged taking? I don't know. Go no ahead. risk taken. Yes, no risk taken. Uh, well, the, the question was rhetorical, but oh. I, I think, let's see how well you did on that one. <laughs> Um, in the United States, Born to Sing peaked at 21 on the Billboard 200, reached uh, the third spot on Billboard's R&B albums chart. It was certified gold um, in June 1990 and platinum in October. Same cool. year. Uh, so it, it sold pretty well. Yeah. Pretty well. Um, the album was well-received well by reviewers, with most praise going to the vocal ability of the group. Uh, Well-deserved. Well yeah, well deserved. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Los Angeles Times said that, quote, unlike most female groups, these four R&B singers can really sing. And do some passable rapping, too. 
rude. Throwing, the audacity. Throwing, yeah. Give me what is your name and who is your boss, sir Bur- or madam? Burying the other R&B singers out right? there. Right? <laughs> Gosh. Don't give me a leg up by stepping on my sisters, my dude. Spin Magazine said that, quote, those girls are some of the baddest things around. They are phenomenal at hor- harmonizing. That's the kind of stuff that you don't even hear anymore. So that's cool. Yeah. The Chicago Tribune called Born to Sing a promising but ultimately frustrating album, album hmm. citing its uneven set list, which I totally agree yeah. with. Yeah. Like, that's my biggest problem. It's like, there are some hits, there are some misses. Hmm. And there's stuff that's just like so unfor- so forgettable. That it's not a hit or a miss. Yeah. You know what I think would be an interesting exercise with, like, some of these albums? To just, like, take them and reorganize the set list. Yeah. Just to see, like, this. I would just put a playlist up on Spotify. This is the way it should go to be listened to properly. Yeah. That, that sounds like a fun experiment. Yeah. Um, like the that... liquid tension experiment. I'm sorry. Ooh. Spoilers. <laughs> in 1991, the album was nominated for uh, the Grammy for Best R&B Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. Which is, like, specific on specific. <laughs> um, but it lost to Ray Charles and Chaka Khan. Well, <laughs> Ray Charles and Charlie Chen do make a good pair. She said Charlie Chen, everybody. <laughs> um, and what about the legacy of En Vogue and Born to Sing? Um, Are you asking again? Again, a rhetorical <laughs> question. You see, so, spoilers, we're not going to be talking about En Vogue again. Um, they did have some hits, though. They did. After that. The years directly following Born to Sing's release were very good for En Vogue. Uh, Their follow-up album, Funky Divas, was released in 1992, and it spawned top 10 hits, My Lovin', You're Never Gonna Get It. No, you're never gonna get it, my lovin', you're never gonna get it. Everybody knows that song. Not this time. (laughs) And Giving Him Something He Can Feel. I don't know that song. Yeah, yeah, I don't got an audio clip stored of of that in my head. (laughs) In 93, they recorded the top 10 hit, What a Man, with Salt and Pepper. What a man! Mighty fine man. That is just weird enough. I'm gonna cut. It. <laughs> no. <laughs> In '96, they released the top ten hit "Don't Let Go" (parentheses love). Hold on, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> we just listened to that. We did. <laughs> um, Don't let go. Hold on, I know this song. It's like the same thing. No, it's different. The whole melody is different, but the same words. Don't let go. Hold on. They're treading, they're treading the same ground. Honey, I need to get this. We can't move forward until we get this. What's it gonna be? Cause I can't pretend. Don't you wanna be more than friends? Hold me tight okay, and okay. don't let go. Don't <laughs> let go. <laughs> Weirdo. All right, so here is where we enter the um, the drama section. Um, because... because apparently- because En Vogue, when the En Vogue I know does not have four members. So, you know, like, the world of um, 1990s divas were, was filled with drama. A lot of drama in the world of divas at the time. Spill the tea, honey. Okay, so Don Robinson left the group in 1997, citing contract- contractual issues. So the remaining three singers carried on as a trio. Mm. Okay, so uh, Don, Don she's, she's, she's left. After two more albums... Maxine Jones left the group to spend more time with family in 2001, and the lineup saw multiple changes over the next several years as singers, old and new, joined and rejoined the band. Hmm. So Don would come back, she'd leave. Uh, Maxine would come back, she'd leave. They'd bring in other singers who would Hmm. come and leave. 
That continued to happen throughout the 2000s. In 2008, the original lineup reunited for the first time at the BET Awards, prompting a world tour to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Born to Sing. Cool. In 2012s, Jones and Robinson had once again left the group, and the lineup since has been original singers Cindy Heron and Terry Ellis mm-hmm. and Rona Bennett, who had sang with the group on and off since 2003. Cool. And that's the trio you know, probably. Yeah. Or those three. Yeah, probably. Um, as of 2019, Jones and Robinsons are touring together as the Funky Divas. <laughs> um, they last. Isn't that the title of one of their albums? Their second album, yeah. Got it. Um, and uh, the, they last reunited with En Vogue in, 20, in October 2019 for the City of Hope Gala 2019. Okay. Um, apparently, I was like looking, and I think it was um, one of the members. I think it might have been Maxine Jones. She left and started a musical project called En Vogue to the Max. <laughs> and wow. It, it spawned a legal battle. Yeah. Where like En Vogue was like, no, you own the <laughs> rights to that. You can't do it. And she was told, you can't do that. So she stopped doing that. Nice. Okay. So now, so now she's touring with Robinson as the Funky Divas. Uh, Quite interesting. Yeah. It's not, it's not as interesting or as weird as the band um, Queensryche. Mm. There are two Queensrykes right now. One with the singer and one with the musicians. <laughs> or at least they there were like as of a couple of years ago. They might have worked things out. <laughs> a couple of years ago because 2020 was several years long. Several. Several. Hey, but that's En Vogue, Born to Sing. Recommend from you? Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. For like background music. I mean, like you're not leaving the house right now anyway, yeah. right? Well, okay. I don't know when this is going up. <laughs> Maybe you can leave the house now. You, you know. Have a picnic with it playing on your phone. If you're going to have a 90s like throwback party, this is a, an album yeah. to put on. Yeah, it's, I mean. It's not going to offend anybody. No. Other than that, it's like, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I, I don't I don't know if I would recommend it as anything other than like hold on. Yeah. As like an act of listening. Yeah. Like put on your iPhone kind of nah, thing. Nah, I agree. <laughs> put in your Spotify. Um, but hey, it's Born to Sing. We're going to close out with the only song that matters, Hold On. <laughs> And uh, we'll see another. We'll see you on the other side with my album of back we're coming in with tornado of souls by what band mega death mega death 
making their uh, return to Media Made. Ah, yes, uh, old friend of the show. <laughs> Released September 24th, 1990, hailed as one of the greatest thrash metal albums of all time, we have Rust in Peace by Megadeth. This is widely considered their best album, or one of their three best albums. Like, yeah, one of three. Top three? Top three. Um, Widely, but what about personally? Personally, I think this is their best album. Yeah, ah. yeah. like by and large, uh, start to finish, this is their best album. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Want to you want to remind the listeners uh, any talks that we had about Megadeth back in the day? Um, uh, I believe we talked about the top four of metal royalty, the big four of thrash, <laughs> thrash metal. metal. <laughs> um, in 1985, Megadeth released their debut album, "Killing Is My Business." Business is good. Yes, we talked about that in our 95, 1985 music right. show. And this, we also talked about how the whole uh, band is just a uh, petty revenge against Metallica. Yes, you're right. It is a revenge <laughs> band. Dave Mustaine, the leader of Megadeth, was kicked out of Metallica. So he started his own band as a way to get revenge. I specifically remember they blew like $14,000 on drugs and women and then had to fire their production people so that they can make their album. Yep. They blew all their money on production for their first album and had to do it all themselves. (laughs) That was Megadeth of 1985. (laughs) Um, Five years later, how are they doing? A lot of stuff happened in those five years. Oh, are we going to talk about it? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think we're going to jump in and talk about it. So... With the first album, Killing Is My Business, and Business Is Good, um, helping to garner a sizable underground following, Megadeth signed with Capitol Records in 1986. Right. Um, While their next two releases, Peace Sells and Who's Buying, and So Far So Good, So What, were well-received by fans and critics, and while they continued to grow their audience by touring with big-name acts like Alice Cooper, Dio, and Iron Maiden, um, and through MTV Exposure, Megadeth struggled with drug abuse and infighting. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of issues with those first two. You know, it's actually interesting. So they followed up Killings My Business with Peace Cells. Right. Which is a great album. Mm-hmm. And they cranked it out one year later. And somehow they matured like 10 years <laughs> in that one year. Their music went from being super juvenile with Killings My Business. Yeah. Uh, to a very like intelligent look at politics of the day. Hmm. Things that they were upset at. Like... They were still airing their grievances, but it was it was in a more sophisticated it, way. It stopped being petty. Yeah, it was it it was it's very like peace sells, especially the song "Peace Sells" is such a great takedown of politics of late '80s, mm. um, and just how frustrated Dave Mustaine was at the time. And it's weird that it's the same dude that blew all <laughs> his money on production just a year earlier, and just made a, a censored rich version of uh... these boots. <laughs> But yeah, so they, they were still having some issues, drug abuse and fighting. Um, by 1989, frontman Dave Mustaine and bassist David Elfson uh, were the only two members of the band left. Oh. Yeah, so just those two guys. Of, like, original band, or there was literally no one? Not even no, no one else, just those okay. two guys. Everyone else had left. Um, in March 1989, uh, Mustaine was arrested for driving under the influence and possession of narco- narcotics while crashing into a parked vehicle occupied by an off-duty police officer. Ooh. Yep. Rock okay. and roll, rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> um, he entered court, ordered rehab shortly afterwards, and became sober for the first time in ten years. Oh, cool! So, well, good. that's good. Yeah, very good for him. I'm glad nobody was hurt in his uh, driving es- under escapades. The and yeah, so newly sober, uh, Mustaine set out to recruit a new drummer and a new guitarist. Uh, the drummer role was taken by Nick Menza, 
who was the technician of the previous drummer, Chuck Baylor. Drummers need technicians? Oh, yeah. What is? What do they technic? Like, I'm sure they deal with, like, the sounds, because I, like, I'm sure, like, dealing with a drum set on a stage, mm. like, for a live audience is very difficult. You got to get everything, like, precise. Yeah, it's not that I don't believe you. I just never thought, because oh, yeah. the word technician makes me, it's like, what What happens? Don't you just put box, hit box, make sound? Nope. It's a, <laughs> it's a, very, it's a very complicated uh, Hit process. box, make sound. All... Shout outs to all the drum techs out there. Yeah. We, we, you, you, you you're are a job pre- that is not invisible. It's important. You're, you're, you're valued. You are valued and necessary. Um, so the guitarist role uh, that they were hoping to fill was offered to a handful of people, including, including Chris Oliva of Sabotage, mm-hmm. Dimebag Daryl of Pantera, and Slash of Guns N' Roses. Oh. It's us. Um, did Slash take it? Because I know he no, didn't really he, no, stay he, with Guns N' Roses for long. No, he did not. Uh, in fact, uh, when they were making this album, Rust in Peace, uh, Guns N' Roses were, was working on their big album. Oh. So all those people were offered the job, but the job ultimately ultimately went to Marty Friedman. Marty McFly, good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the quartet of Mustaine, Elfson, Mensa, and Friedman is considered by fans as the classic... Megadeth lineup. Okay. This is the, 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 the group. Okay. And this is their third album. Third album. Okay. Fourth album. Four about four album. <laughs> this is their fourth album. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so Megadeth entered the studio to record their fourth album, Rust in Peace, in 1989. Um, I was watching an interview with uh, Dave Bustain, and he talked about like just the energy in the studio at that time, having like been sober for the first time. It was like they went into this al- album with no anger. This wasn't about teaching. It wasn't about proving anybody wrong. Hmm. It wasn't about exerting frustrations or anger about something. It wasn't petty. It was mm-hmm. like, this is the first time where we were professionals making music together. Huh. So that's cool. That is cool. Good job. Uh, the album was produced by Dave Mustaine and Mike Klink, who had produced Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Oh, gosh. Shout out to our 1987. <laughs> <laughs> that man saw some things. <laughs> As we talked about in our 1987 <laughs> music episode. Clink was the first producer to complete a Megadeth album without being fired. Hey! Fired. Oh, wow. Yeah. Award that man. That Clink, guy, you are seen. He's put, he's put so much work into these, like, rough... These children. <laughs> rock acts. Goodness. So, yeah. However, Mustaine later complained that Clink was way too busy working on Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion album at the same time they were working on this Megadeth album. Mm. So Rust in Peace was basically just produced by Mustaine and one mixer and one engineer. Huh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know who to believe. Maybe hmm. Mike Klink was pulling double duty. Hey, He yo. seems like the strong enough man to be able to do that. Gotta make that change. Yeah. Gotta make that clink. Okay. Because change makes clink sounds. It does. And he's he's clink. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. <laughs> And that's that's Rust in Peace, pretty oh, okay. s- the smoothest Megadeth album ever. Yep. Maybe that's why it's their best. It probably is. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a transcendent experience. <laughs> um, does that does that mean that he doesn't stay sober? Uh, oh no! I'll talk about that at the end. Okay. All right. So we're gonna jump in with the song "Hangar 18," um, and actually, I can talk about um, this song because this is the first Megadeth song I think I ever heard. Oh. Yeah, this song was in Guitar Hero 2. Oh. And uh, let's get that started. So you listen to this, this song. you have any thoughts on it before I go into my spiel? I have thoughts that I'll say at the end. Okay. 
But otherwise, it's just like, it's about alien. It is, it is about <laughs> this alien. This is not alien. This specifically, this is about, it gives me real, like, why well, my brain can only say Naro to run or Area 51. Area 51. <laughs> the recently uh, stormed Area 51. <laughs> Naruto. All the anime fans ran down on, on Area 51 last year for us. But yeah, this song is about alien conspiracy theories. Yep. That's definitely the that's the read I got off of it. Yep. So Area 51, I have a few like uh, facts about Area 51. Because Hangar 18, mm-hmm. name of the song. Um, it is located at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio. Okay. And it is speculated that an alien aircraft was brought there from Roswell in 1947. Right. Oh. So Roswell, New Mexico is right. like where you hear all the stories about alien happenings. Yeah, there's a whole TV show about it. I just remember Roswell was a skate park in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, Roswell was a... Uh, I mean, it definitely was a place, but they also made a basically... Dawson's Creek, except in Roswell. Oh, gosh. Were there aliens? <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> and it came before Dawson's Creek. Yeah. So, um, conspiracy theories, weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Dave Mustaine loves that stuff. Yeah. He loves it. Okay. Now, he is, I think, a noted um, fan of, like, history, conspiracy theories like the moon landing, alien findings, um... I was doing a bit of research on Dave Mustaine, and apparently his fascination with conspiracy theories um, in the in the eighties and nineties they were like harmless conspiracy theories. It's fun to think about aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's harmless. He's since transitioned into conspiracy theories that I would consider harmful, mm-hmm. hateful, even. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get too much in depth on that, but yeah, this Dave Mustaine—that's kind of his thing—is conspiracy theories. I don't know about I don't know about flat Earth, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some there's some things that I don't respect him on his views. We're not going to talk about it. No, this is not the podcast for that. We're just going to put a pin in that. Yep. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to actually pause the music there for a second because I want to talk about the guitar solo when it when when we in a, in a little bit. But anything about the lyrics that jumped out to you that um, <laughs> that legit says. In my lyrics, it says, instrumental with 11 guitar solos. I just went, what the? <laughs> <laughs> with 11 guitar solos? Yes, that's what it says. I literally highlighted, but the facts? Like, facts. We will talk <laughs> about those 11 guitar solos because I, I have things to say. Okay. Okay, but go ahead and anything uh, Otherwise, the whole, like, like lyrically, there's nothing that I, I pulled out other than the whole vibe made me immediately think about this. Uh, an audio drama podcast that is based off of a book called steal the stars by uh mac rogers and i thought you were gonna say a uh, night veil no <laughs> i see some night veil vibes in here okay too. but like very specifically like, i'm just gonna read the synopsis like, yeah. quick not all of it Go okay dakota pretness can't pronounce her last name guards the biggest secret in the world they call it moss it is your standard gray alien from innumerable abduction stories it still sits at the controls of the spaceship it crash landed 11 years ago a secret military base was built around the crash site to study both moss and the dangerous technology it brought to earth and and other stuff so like when i got to the end of it i was like uh, especially um selective amnesia is the story believed foretold but 
who'd suspect the military intelligence to, intelligence two worlds two words combined can't make sense possibly i've seen too much hangar 18 i know too much and it just immediately when i got that i just like i was like what was the name of the drama i didn't finish listening to it because it got too spicy for me and when i say spicy the characters were making decisions that made me feel very anxious and i like listened to this thing while i was driving and i was like look i can't crash i can't crash the decisions you're making it just mm-mm. but it was really good and it just it like, even just reading through that. So, like, yeah. you haven't really listened to Nightville. Nightville's nothing like this. Okay. But that is, like, spot on. But the lyrics at, the lyrics of Hangar 18 create a picture in your mind. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that's it, – it's a very strong song. Yeah. It? Like, it, I totally can see this, like, dark, sterile military facility where they've got an alien, like, crash land and it's, like, halfway in the dirt, you know? And mm-hmm. they have, like, you know, scientists or uh, – excavating it and, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. experimenting on it and like you know the the, the whole base is built around it mm-hmm. I totally see that um, another thing about the lyrics that I like poked out or I pulled out is um, this is a point in time where Dave Mustaine he's very political he's very active politically mm-hmm. um, he famously actually like reported from the Democratic National Convention for MTV in 92. Okay. Yeah, so like he, he is politically active. He, okay. he has interest in that kind of stuff. And I think the Dave Mustaine of 1990 was frustrated with the government, with institutions like the military. Like he was just frustrated with where things were at the time, mm-hmm. which I understand. Um, this is coming right off like the Iran-Contra affair, right, mm. with, with uh, Reagan and his people. Right. Um, uh, the new president... George H.W. Bush mm-hmm. um, had just taken power, like taken office, and he chose not to uh, investigate some of these people. Right? Mm. Uh, Congress just gave themselves big paychecks. Right? It's Let's like, just hope that does not happen in a f- ten days. <laughs> so it's just it's a very frustrating time for him. Right. right? And so for <clears throat> him, like alien conspiracy theories, like the government shadow governments and stuff like that, it's all interesting. And it the corruption of the real government was an easy step to take for all of this weird shadow government stuff, mm-hmm. right? So the, the the line that you read it, actually, where it's like, the military intelligence, two words combined that don't make sense, <laughs> right? To him, that that's that's the thing. It's like the, the government, the military, like, mm-hmm. they... Oxymoron. They, they're terrible, right? Mm-hmm. And they suck. I don't trust them. They've, they're holding secrets from us. Um, they don't have the people's best intentions in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and I think as a... Lead single, Hangar 18, um, and it's on the track list. It is the second song on the album. Okay. I think it very strongly introduces that yeah. point, that topic. Because in a way, this is like a soft uh, concept album. Most of the songs deal with that very same thing. You yeah. Know, frustration with the institutions and the government and the happenings of the world hmm. at that time. Okay. Yeah. That like recolors some of the other like thoughts that I had had. Right. And, and we we will talk more about that stuff with other songs, but um, let's talk about those eleven guitar solos. <laughs> so eleven, I'm, I'm gonna jump in here. So I was that same interview that I was listening to with Dave Mustaine. He said like he he goes back and he listens to this album, and he says to himself like I can't play that way, like I can't play that well. How did I do that? Right? <laughs> it, it's almost like an out of body experience. <laughs> the way he described it, it's like we were playing so well that we can't even describe how we did it. So let me play some of the guitar solo because it's just like him and Marty, the other guitar player, will just trade off and just go crazy. So here we go. 
that's very technically impressive yeah. for guitar solo. So he's just going at it, and they, they just start shredding. Right? And then they take a break. They let the riff hit a little bit, right? Okay, so he's, he's shredding. He's going mm-hmm. crazy, right? That is intense. Yeah. Then they take a break, and they play this riff. And it, they do it a few times. And then the other guitarist comes in, and he picks it back up. And then he takes a break, <laughs> and they do the same thing. then the other guitarist comes back. And they just do this for like three minutes straight. For 11 guitar solos. And they just go at it. And they're playing, like, are you not impressed by the guitar playing playing in this I'm very impressed by the guitar heroes that they are. They are guitar heroes. (laughs) So anyway, that's Hangar 18. Um great song i think it's a, it, it's it's like the perfect metal song yeah perfect metal song is there like a reason that they're at the end of the song though like not saying like just you know thinking in line with what the song is talking about and how you're like they take pauses and they take turns and it's almost like the guitars are conversating with each other but are they conversation are they arguing with each other is that pause a pause that's like supposed to represent um, a breath of like trying to communicate and understand or like a wall where these two groups never really hear each other. It, it could be that. I think um, like my my interpretation of guitar solos and metal songs sometimes it's almost like an explosion of emotion. Uh. Like it could be anger. It could be frustration. It could be like passion even. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the song, it's just like these two guitarists are just shredding like crazy for three minutes straight. It's just like pent up musical frustration just coming out exploding out right what is what's that uh wd thing reckless enthusiasm i don't know the the thing that like the john cena thing what are you doing this reckless oh ruthless aggression that that's what it is (laughs) that it comes out in the form of guitar yes that's totally it all right, so moving on, the next song. Uh, I have Tornado Souls. Yeah, we're going to talk Tornado of Souls. That we, we brought in, that's what we brought in the segment with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little lighter. doesn't really deal with government. Um, okay. Government conspiracy stuff. Yes. Um, but it's, it is just as heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we brought that in. That's the intro. Let's uh, let's listen to Dave Mustaine sing the first verse here. Get a taste of what the song sounds like when he's singing. All right, so I assume you went and dug through the lyrics. Uh, I'm going to see if you... Like, I know what the song's about. Do you know what the song's about? No. So, here's (laughs) the thing. I, like, noted the first... I even, for me, I was like, the first verse is excellent. I really like the first verse. Uh And then the last line of the song, I I literally were like, how did we get here? (laughs) Because the first verse, right, uh, makes me think... 
not political stuff, but this morning I made the call, the one that ends it all, hanging up, I wanted to cry, but dang it, this well's gone dry, not for the not for the money, not for the fame, not for the power, just no more games, but now I'm safe in the eye of the tornado, I can't replace the, the lies that let a thousand days go by, no matter... No more living trapped inside. In her way, I'll surely die. In the eye of tornado, you blow me away. That's like half the song. You just say <laughs> no. It's literally not. The, it's oh. just that's just the first verse and the chorus and chorus. Yeah, I, I realized later. So it's basically just the first chorus. So it's a third of the song. Yeah. Um. And even in that though, like that, I it was excellent because it painted a, a picture. But even um, I'm not sure what's it about. What it is about, but if you had to take a guess. You said it's not about politics or it's war not about and politics. Stuff. It like when I first thought it was just like about being in a bad relationship. That's what that's why I thought it was it was really well done because I yeah. think we've especially in with the album we just listened to, but like uh, early rock and especially thrash metal in general, like when they are singing love or not love songs, they're very yeah. cliche. Even uh, Megadeth's the, on their last one when they're talk they're talking about. Uh, oh, what was it? Love, the, to, love to death. Love to death. Like I was just like, okay, what is this? The whole song is them saying just like, I love you so much, but nobody else can have you, so I'm gonna murder you, and then I'm gonna kill myself. Yeah, you know, it's almost but like this, it's edge lord metal. Edge lord metal, indeed. But this being like, this morning I made the call, right? Like that ends it all. It's like you're ending a relationship. You're sad about it, but. I like saying like I will not stay in this relationship for money, for fame, for any of the things. Like I can't yeah. do it anymore. Even though it hurts me to get out, it would hurt me more to be in. Mm-hmm. And I just in gen- I was just like, yep. love that's re- excellent, excellent opening, excellent. <laughs> you nailed it. This is a breakup song. Yep. Okay, so it, it, it's funny you brought up "Love to Death," which is a song from Megadeth's first album, right? And it is. You, you listen to that song. That is not a song written by somebody who really understands, like, what it's like to be in a relationship. Like, yeah. he's writing a song that he thought was sounded cool at the time. Tornado of Souls comes from a man who I think is a little bit more mature and can write about love in a relationship in a more mature way. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a metal song. Yeah. What are you laughing about? When you were saying <laughs> the person who wrote um, Love You to Death is not mature. is like, Mega Death. More like Mega Virgin. <laughs> oh dear I'm so sorry it's real bad but yeah like and I think just the the difference between those two songs goes to show how much this these people have grown yeah. in five years right and how sober is good yeah exactly so Dave Mustaine um, I think is one of one of the most underrated songwriters when it comes to the breakup song mm-hmm. the guy nails it yeah okay like people think about Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And Alanis Morissette is writing the best breakup songs. Mm-hmm. Dave Mustaine should be in the running. Yeah. He, he's he got a song that came out a, a few years later called um, A Thousand Times Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the best breakup song I've ever heard. Uh-huh. It is so hilarious. Because <laughs> it's so real. Um, but so is this song. So yeah. um, I have um, a quote here. He said, I wrote that, I wrote that one. <laughs> I wrote that one about a fiance of six years who, who I broke up with last October. I had just had it. Oh. <laughs> like, you had had it with her. Like, you couldn't take it anymore. Six years? Yeah. For I mean, you, you, you nailed it. He talked about, like, having to make the call. Yeah. Just, just end it all. He can't take it anymore. Yeah. Um, but also, I like the metaphor that he creates. It's called Tornado of Souls, and he's talking about being in the eye of the tornado mm-hmm. now that he's broken up with this person. Right. right? So... I really, really like that metaphor, especially for someone who, who 
like when you're in a when you're a young person, like a young adult in relationships, right? Like your early twenties when you really don't know how a relationship is supposed to work, mm-hmm. and so you put up with really terrible relationships, yeah, and don't ask yourself why am I in this, right? So it's like when you're young and you're not and you're single, right? Mm-hmm. It sucks, yeah, and you, you just don't like, well, it, for. For, like, there are moments where it does suck. And you're yeah. like, I wish I could just be loved by someone, right? Mm-hmm. I just want to be with somebody. I want some companionship, right? You get into a relationship, and then you're, like, miserable there, too. Mm. And you're like, this is miserable, right? Yeah. So then you put up with that for, for so long, and then you're just, I just want to be out of this relationship. This yeah. sucks. I need to get out of here. So then when you're out of the relationship, you're, like, in the eye of the storm, right? Where it's like, finally some peace and quiet. I don't do this. But also at the same time, you have this yearning that it's like you're miserable again because you're not in a relationship and you need to go back into the storm with someone mm-hmm. else. So it's like this, Yeah, you're always being thrashed around. So you're always in the eye of the tornado because you know the trouble is always all, there. All so sides. The next, whatever the next step is, like to be single again or to be in a relationship again is the eye of the tornado for that step. Yeah. So I was like, it's clever, poetic. Real quick, kids, Unsolicited uh, relationship advice from Auntie Jess. If you feel lonely because you are not in a relationship, you need better friends. Focus on friendship. Like, I, I mean, like, I'm not saying that don't be in a, like, but, like, if you have really good, close friendships, like, whether you're in a relationship or not, or whether they're in a relationship or not, it makes all the difference. One. Two. There was a two, but I can't remember what it was. My brain just shut off. Three. The song makes me think of Tornado Heist. Oh, yeah, we, we just watched a movie called The Hurricane Heist. It's on Netflix. It's terrible. It's Watch it with friends. Yeah, it's definitely like a bad movie night movie. Oh, I remember too. Enjoy being single, my guy. Yeah. I love being married to you. You're my favorite husband. I love you the most. But being single is fun, guys. Yeah, it, it, you being single in some ways is like being in the eye of a tornado. Mm. It's like... Just the the drama is just not there. You're in the clear for a little while. Yep. I know you want to be you want to be with somebody, but sometimes enjoy it. Yeah, because you think your baggage is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's tornado of souls. Um, emotional. I feel like it came from the heart. Yeah, definitely. Though I, I still don't know how we got to that end. <laughs> the last line is, uh, well, because it's suddenly talking about like, de- well, okay, now I get it. It like now like in the context of I was in a relationship for many years six of which of those years were engaged and it's your uh your tongue twist perverse uh come but some of these are like come drink now this curse and now i fill your brain i spin on you round again my poison fills your head as i tuck you into bed you feel my fingertips you won't forget my lips you'll feel my cold breath it's the kiss of death and i was like what how do we get here unless he's saying like yeah, I broke it off, but you're always going to remember me. In or, which case, or, or like you the, had the high road, guy. I don't know why you had to slip down to the ba- the ba- the low road. I read that as like that's her speaking to him, like memories of her speaking to him. It's like mm, okay. that that's him like he's in the eye of the tornado, but now he's like yearning to get back in the game. Got it, you got know? it. It's like gosh, I I've like tasted it, you know? Like I know what it was like to be in a relationship and I hated it, and now I'm in the clear, but now I want it again. It's like that weird contradiction that we all live in. Yeah. Can't live with him, can't live without him, am I right? <laughs> it's like, you know, people who are lactose intolerant and they just want some ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we want to move on? Uh, sure. All right, so the next song we're going to talk about is actually the title track. 
Rust in Peace Polaris. So the song is called Rust in Peace, which is the name of the album. But the song goes a little bit further. It's Rust in Peace dot 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 Polaris. So let's start that. Is Polaris a planet? I will explain. Because ellipses Polaris. There you go. Got that 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 riff, strong metal riff. That biff, strong corrupt biff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, the album title and the name of this song, "Rust in Peace," was inspired by a bumper sticker that Dave Mustaine saw on the back of a vehicle while driving home in Lake Elsinore, California. Oh, we that's that's in our backyard. Yeah. Um, we have a very big backyard. <laughs> Uh, the sticker read, "May all your nuclear weapons rust in peace," and he just liked the ring to the ring of it, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's an album. That's a that's a song title right there, Rust that's, in Peace." That's a pretty nice bumper sticker title, yep. like Rust in Peace, Polaris. So Polaris refers to a Cold War era Lockhart UGM twenty seven Polaris intercontinental ballistic missile. It's a nuclear okay. weapon. Okay. Yes. So this song is definitely written in cold like. Cold War anxiety, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, so 1990, the Cold War was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. But even then, you hear about the wall coming down. You hear about like uh, communist countries in the in uh, like Eastern Europe are like you know there's revolutions. Mm-hmm. They're they're overthrowing like the USSR uh, sponsored uh, socialist governments and stuff like that. But it right. I st- that I think that that prevailing fear of the nuclear like apocalypse was in everybody's minds mm-hmm. throughout the Cold War and even in the late 80s here. Yeah, no, I believe that. Yep. So this song is interesting. I'm going to turn it up here. This is a, a, the verse. So it, you kind of heard it there. The the verse is the, all the verses are done in the first person speaking. This this character Polaris is speaking right the verses right, mm-hmm. and he has it's Dave Mustaine with like a distorted voice yeah, and it's like very swear. deep and threatening. And then Dave comes in with a cleaner voice and says the chorus. I think it's interesting that so the the first person Polaris is the speaker right. Mm-hmm. It's personifying this nuclear weapon or yeah. this nuclear threat. I know you you probably have some notes on the lyrics, but I have some. No, yeah, I don't I don't. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so the first verse is Tremble you weaklings, cower in fear. I am your ruler, land, sea and air. Immense in my girth, erect I stand tall. I am a nuclear murderer. I am Polaris, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's your speaker. Yes. Um one, I love that it's like this almost like godlike. Mhm figure right it's like i'm your ruler or land sea, air and sea yeah. like cower and fear like this thing is all powerful omnipotent mm-hmm. ever present right and i think that personifies the anxiety of the cold war era right yeah this constant fear that bombs could co- could land at any moment and kill everybody yeah right it's terrifying and there's like nothing you can do about it yeah you're powerless yeah. At, in the face of nuclear war yeah absolutely i um 11th grade I had a AP U.S. history class, right? And I remember we were learning about um, Reagan-era, like, anti-nuclear programs, right? Mm-hmm. And one of his most popular was called the Star Wars program, named after that Star Wars. <laughs> I'm 
the idea was that if the USSR launched missiles over the U.S., there would be like the U.S. would be able to shoot them out of the sky like <laughs> missile command. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> so that was a thing, right? And I'm like looking at it from hindsight. I'm a stupid high school student, and I asked my teacher, and I was like, "Isn't that just a huge waste of money? Like yeah. you never, they never needed that." Yeah. And my teacher had to say, "Listen, I grew up throughout the '70s and '80s. I don't think you understand how." much fear we all lived in Mm -hmm. knowing that at any moment they could launch nukes at us yeah so it's like yes in hindsight this was a big waste of money but we lived in this constant fear where just having that assurance was made it a little less bad yeah yeah i mean that, that makes sense yeah and that's what this polaris character is is talking about um but at the same time this is dave mustaine again writing about his distrust of the government and mm-hmm. hatred for this stuff. So he is also using Polaris as a character to tear down like the powers that be that are enabling him, mm-hmm. the character Polaris enabling the nuclear powers, yeah, yeah, the yeah. arms race. Right. Right. Um, so that, that first verse, it says immense in my girth erect. I stand tall. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you picture with that verse? Those, those, the diction of his, of his, you know, they, they are, I know, I know the answer is phallic. Yes, it is phallic in imagery, right? Because, like, I think that's what the Cold War was, yeah. especially to Dave Mustaine. It the Cold was, War was phallic? Yeah. The, the arms <laughs> race, the Cold War, it was about two global superpowers measuring their dicks. Yes. Right? Like, that's it. Like, just waving their dicks around, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and, like, penis sizes, that's it. Yeah. It was just them showing off. Yeah. And, and to him, it was like, this is asinine. Yeah. Right? It's just a little more dangerous. Like, I no, I absolutely agree. Yep. Cause, because I think, like, right, like, that's, thank God, not uh, the, the particular reality that we live in. But, like, I could imagine, right, having seen what a uh, nuclear bomb had done in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that, like, you could know it was coming and know that you had no time to do anything. Yep. Like, now, like, if that happened today, I would have enough time to send emails to people I love that are on parts of the country that I am not in. Call my family members. That That's terrifying. It's, it's like the, it was, was it last year when Hawaii accidentally did a, an Amber Alert style thing to everybody on the islands saying that nuclear weapons are imminent? Do you remember that? No. Yeah. I don't, it, it I was, don't news. I am apolitical. Yeah, that happened. They accidentally sent out this, like, statewide alert it was it was a bug everyone thought they were gonna die and you could just you can find like twitter videos and tiktok videos of people like saying to their family goodbyes you ain't never gonna be okay nope wait that is that is that we need every therapist to move to the islands like yeah no that is abject fear right and i I talked about heavy metal being like its roots were this is horror music, right? This is music to scare people. Just like a horror movie is better to scare people. Like this is a real fear that people have. And I was like, they found like a very concrete source of fear in their society and they drew on it. And that's where good metal comes from. Mm. Real fear. Yeah. He found it. Um, But anyway, talking about making fun of the government again, uh, the next one of the other verses says, Bomb, shel- bomb shelters filled to the brim. Survival such a silly whim. Yeah. World leaders sell missiles cheap. Your stomach turns, your flesh creeps. And I think, like, him talking about world leaders sell 
missiles cheap. I think at the same time, it's like these are these global superpowers, like the U.S. specifically, are enabling global wars, nuclear war, by yeah. selling weapons and missiles to other countries. Right? Mm-hmm. We had just come off the uh, Iran Contra affair, where government, like the Reagan administration, was arming like insurgents in other countries with weapons and enabling local wars there and I, I can understand like Dave Mustaine saying like I don't support that yeah like that's not cool and they got away with it I'm more upset yeah I think at some point um, Polaris is saying something that made me think like uh, the, the four horse, horsemen of the apocalypse like that it was even calling that to mind yeah I spread disease like a dog I discharged my payload a mile high rotten eggs of rotten egg air of death's wrestles your nose, launch Polaris, the end doesn't scare us, when will this cease? And it's yeah. just like, that kind of thing, um, yeah, that, no, that was it. I didn't actually have anything to add to, other than saying, like, yeah. Yep. It's, it's about this, scary stuff. This, <laughs> this song is so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like... I mean, I still prefer Tornado of Souls. I get it. Uh, it you know, it's kind of like uh, what your personal preference is, but I think... As a as inspiration for a metal song, I think it's just like so smart. And this is probably like of all the music that we've listened to, this is probably the one that deals with real political issues. This is our first one. Right? Mm-hmm. This is our first album that we've talked about for this whole Media Made show that actually dealt. Maybe Michael. 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 I was gonna say like, Michael. Yeah, but even Michael, it was like kind of like platitudes. Like, the music video was more political than the song itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the song, this is, like, overt. I am talking about real issues in the world right yeah. now. I'm proud of Dave Mustaine. Good job, Dave. He's, he's Stay mat- sober. Stay sober, yeah. All right, so we're going to close out this segment with one more song. Nah. Another deep song. Well. Political song. It's called Holy Wars, dot, 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 The Punishment Due. This is the opening track for the album. Very strong opening. I think, like, I, I saw Megadeth in 2011 for the Big Four tour. <laughs> One of the Big Four thrash metal toured together. And I think he opened with this song. So mm. this is, like, Megadeth's um, consistent opener. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And it kind of has a long uh, opening there before the, the song starts. But uh, you have anything you want to say about the lyrics before I tell you what the song is about? So the last two songs, I, I my brain was just like, I can't. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I didn't, like, make... Oh, I lied. I guess I did make notes. The, yeah, no, the song, like, also was just like, what's happening? But I guess, like, keeping it in mind with, like, the title being, right, like, Holy Wars Punishment Due, this character feels like it's supposed to be someone who was, was a soldier and did a soldier's duty Mm-hmm. in service to their government, their lord, their whatever. Yeah. Um, and it has come out the other end. Broken. Broken. Yeah. With PTSD, with um, survivor's guilt, <laughs> with a lot of anger and a lot of m- mental rupturing. Yep. It's, um, it's definitely, this is an anti-war song for sure. Yeah. And so, like, that's why, like, the couple of lines that I uh, I did highlight are towards the end, which some people risk to employ me, some people live to destroy me, which I just thought was really nice. 
I just really liked it. But even in line with that, right? I'm sorry, my brain keeps thinking Roroni Kenshin as well <laughs> as mm. I'm thinking this, but not really because Roroni went a different way. So that other guy who I can't think of his name. Um, and then also the line, um, they killed my wife and my baby with hopes to enslave me. First mistake, last mistake. And I just, again, really like that. Um, and it's sad, right? But this kind of thing, like the cost of war and the co- and the... I don't know that this sounds right. Maybe I'm just thinking from a writing point of view and not a real life point of view, but mm-hmm. just kind of like bad people. If I were, if I was writing a villain yeah. who wanted power for themselves uh, and knew that to get that power, they would have to wrest it from someone else, whether they be good or bad, they, but not wanting to risk their own lives would get other people to do that for them. And sometimes to ensure that people are beholden to you, you do things to put them in places or that they feel in debt to you. And so the line of they killed my wife and baby with hopes to enslave me, this kind of like idea of a villain who... who is exploiting. Put, who, yeah, exploit it. Or, like, not just, like, hey, the reason they're dead is because of this enemy who is my enemy. Whether that's true or not, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then it feels like this person has found out. And it's just like, <laughs> next mistake, no mistakes. Right. I'll get into some of the lyrics that jumped out to me. I guess I'll do that now. Because, um, like, I think, like, there are specific political events that inspired the song and I will talk about those but I think it is a strong song because it is emblematic of all war mm-hmm. right and like just unjust wars in general right yeah. like ne- senseless wars yeah right it, where the people fighting the wars are being exploited by the the people in power the villains the villains <laughs> um and, and that has a metal uh, lineage as well mm-hmm. um Black Sabbath had a song called uh, War Pigs that dealt with the same thing. Metallica had a song called Disposable Heroes, also mm. about uh, soldiers being... <laughs> that's a very sad title. Yeah, that, that's that's what the soldier was to them, Disposable yeah. Heroes, unfortunately. Um, and so Megadeth is um, just following that up with its own war song, right? Yeah. And so um, some of the lyrics to me called to mind like the like a, a, a judicial judicial imagery right Mm -hmm. so upon my podium as the know-it-all scholar down in my seat of judgment gavels bang uphold the law upon my soapbox a leader out to change the world down in my pulpit as the holier than thou could be messenger of god uh fill the cracks in with judicial granite because i don't say it don't mean i ain't right so it's sort of like not only are these wars happening and they're senseless and they're corrupt it's all legal. Yeah. That's the most, and I feel like for Dave Mustaine, that's the most frustrating part. It's like, not all, like these powers, right? Global superpowers are setting up these wars and saying it's legal, even mm-hmm. though it's to the layman, it's clearly corrupt. Yeah. And they're, they're just all getting away with it. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, that's a very frustrating. Yeah. But I was like, my brain is also like, oh, we're not going to move past this, but Yeah definitely more with like yeah. even the the idea that's put in like the things that the government label as legal yeah uh that majority will be like yeah that's right and, like, and even when a governing body says it's a war crime it's like there's no accountability yeah and that's what's frustrating yeah still today same same issue time goes on, <laughs> on, on. <and> on. tick <laughs> tock tick <laughs> tock 
But as far as uh, real-world conflicts that inspired this song, um, in addition to armed conflicts in Israel and the Persian Gulf, the Persian Gulf War had just started, mm. um, or like the conflicts over there were just getting started, this song was inspired by the Northern Ireland conflict, in which the largely Catholic nationalist community were in conflict with the mainly Protestant loyal- loyalist community over the sovereignty of the six counties of Northern Ireland. Okay. So... Apparently, uh, Megadeth and Dave Mustaine were doing a show in Northern Ireland, and Dave Mustaine found out that bootlegged Megadeth t-shirts were on sale out there, <laughs> as, as happens at yeah. a, at a, at a uh, metal show. Um, he was dissuaded from taking legal action against the bootleggers when, when he found out that they were part, uh, the, the, the selling of the t-shirts were part of a fundraising activity for the cause, <laughs> in quotes, explained as something to bring equality to Catholics and Protestants within the region. So I guess mm-hmm. the, the cause was a very real, like, ah. political group. I'm not... In, I'm, in I, ha- I didn't look too much into it, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a... It was a lightning rod for controversy. Mm-hmm. Let me say that. Like, liking how the cause sounded as explained to him, he dedicated a performance of the song Anarchy in the UK to the cause <laughs> during the show, causing the audience to riot. Wow. The band was forced to travel in a bulletproof bus after the show. <laughs> Well, yep. nowadays, you definitely would have gotten on your phone and did a little more Googling first. <laughs> yeah. But that it was, was like, not available at the time. Me- that's a metal story. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, that's a metal story if I've ever heard one. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, so, as far as, like, the song writing, like, the actual song itself, this song demonstrates, like, uh, Megadeth's um, willingness to kind of go out of the box with, like, song formatting, you know? Mm-hmm. Not just you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, right? They yeah. were actually experimenting with how, not just the sounds that they were using, but, like, the format of the song itself. So mm-hmm. the reason the song is called Holy Wars, dot, 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 the punishment due, is because the song is kind of split up into two segments. Mm. So the first, let me let me play it where that, that shift happens. Right, and then you get this classical guitar little thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the song slows down, gets quiet. And then you just have, like, this slower but heavier Mm -hmm. beat going on, right? And this goes on for most of the song until the guitar solo hits, right? The entire song is commonly retur- uh, referred to as Holy Wars, right? So mm-hmm. if you're just in, in conversation, say, oh yeah, this entire song, the full six minutes of it is Holy Wars, right? Whereas the punishment due is referring to this heavier, slower section, this mm. section we're listening to right okay, now. Okay, okay. But I, I just appreciate that they were willing to experiment with songwriting yeah. at the time. A little bit more progressive, even. Yeah. Talked progressive in our 1989 episode. And last bit of trivia, um, this song was partially inspired by The Marvel's Punisher, <laughs> which also inspired the song Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good. Well. Hey. So, again, we got to remind everybody, metalheads are big nerds. Yeah. I almost want to say that... Um, the reboot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the uh, Iron Man was inspired by this song because Could there's be. a whole bunch of Tony Stark. Yeah, as he was rebranded in this. Again, anti-war messages uh, never change. B 
because mm. wars never change. You didn't even lie. In in the in the mighty words of the Fallout video game series, war war never changes. <laughs> in the mighty words of Fallout Boy, Shorty, we're going down, down. <laughs> All right, so that is Rust in Peace. Sugar. Sugar we're going down, not Shorty. Why would they say Shorty? They're a bunch of... Hey, Shorty, I know it's your birthday. <laughs> we're going to party Sugar. like no. it's no. your no. birthday. No, no, <laughs> All right, so Rust in Peace. How did it do? I ask rhetorically. <laughs> Rust in Peace debuted at number 23 in the United States and number 8 in the United Kingdom. Nice. So they're getting there. Heavy Metal Magazine Decibel labeled the album as, quote, genre-defining work, while Kerrang! wrote the record set a new standard for heavy metal of the 90s. Um, And the Chicago Tribune called it Megadeth's most accomplished album, praising its instrumental virtuosity, thoughtful lyricism, and punkish rage. (laughs) And I cannot agree more. I would say, as far as metal goes, this is one of the smartest, like, most thoughtful metal albums out there. Oh, okay. High praise. Yeah, I think in just five short years, Megadeth grew up. <laughs> they went from being uh, juvenile children, writing about stuff that sounded cool, to writing about songs that actually had meaning. From 19 to 24. <laughs> they actually had something to say. Yeah. Music journalist Kim Cooper wrote that Rust in Peace, quote, transcended the hard rock genre and raised the bar to a whole new level. As far as awards, the album was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance in 91. Cool. But lost to Stone Cold Crazy by Metallica. Oh, I thought you were going to say Stone Cold and end there. No. I was like, why did he have... Wait, lost to Metallica? How yep. did that sit in his craw? I, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it upset him quite a bit. <laughs> um, and not only... That's the thing. Like Stone Cold Crazy is a cover. It's a Queen cover. Oh. So they not only lost to Metallica, they lost to a Metallica song that covered a Queen song. Uh, that's I'm annoying. Sh- I'm sure Dave Mustaine was a little upset by that. <laughs> um, he had another chance in 92 as the song Hangar 18 was nominated for the same award. Still lost? Was it to Metallica again? <laughs> it lost to Metallica's self-titled debut. Or, sorry, it lost to Metallica's self-titled album. The one with Enter Sandman on it. Mm. So... I'm sorry, David. Losing to Metallica two years in a row. <laughs> and Rust in Peace is listed in the book 1,001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. I um, heard it before I died. And several outlets have named it one of the best heavy metal bands and one of the best albums of the 90s in general. All right. Yeah. Would you recommend Rust in Peace? I probably would. I totally would. <laughs> I would say if you're new to metal... Don't start with it. Um, I would probably start with a Metallica album, to be honest. Like Metallica's self-titled album is probably a good one to start with. If you're you're looking to taste, get a little taste of heavy metal to see if it's for you. But if you are a metal fan and you have not heard all of Rust in Peace, you need to do that. You you can't call yourself a metal fan. <laughs> We're taking that from you, kids. Yeah, you should listen to it if you like heavy metal. It is transcendent. Amongst metal albums, I feel mm. like I think it it set like that that re- the reporter said it like set the bar so high. Yeah, yeah. So with that, where did Metallica? I keep calling <laughs> that. So, sorry, Dave. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna cut this or not. <laughs> but Megadeth hates you. <laughs> yeah, that's specifically Dave. Yeah, he hates a lot of people. Well, all right. So where did Megadeth go from here? Because hey, we're gonna leave him behind. 
Um, um, they're, they're, they went to Lake Elsinore. <laughs> no, they uh, they they finished off uh, their tenure with Media Made on a high note, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about where they went from here. Okay. All right. So Megadeth's follow up to Rust in Peace, Countdown to Extinction, was met with equally stellar success. I think, like for a lot of people, it comes down to Rust in Peace and Countdown to Extinction, which is the best Megadeth album. It's oh, okay. One of those two. And I think for you, it's, it's this one. I think it's Rust in Peace. The classic Megadeth lineup continued on through most of the 90s. Uh, they were nominated for the Grammy for Best Metal Performance in all but one year, from 91 to 98. Oh, cool. And they never Did they won. they won? Oh. <laughs> they never won. Well, um, you win some, no you don't. <laughs> from, from like the mid to late 90s, I call that the emo Mustaine period, mm. where it's, he's like, I think going through some severe depression, and he's the most unhappy Hmm. Um, I feel bad for him, but like a lot of those songs are very like um, emotional. Yeah, I feel like he's very contemplative about his life. They're uh, coming he, from a place. He's att- like there are songs of attempted suicide and stuff like that. Mm. So it's it's heavy stuff. Yeah, heavy stuff. Um, in 2002, Dave Mustaine relapsed and checked himself into a treatment center. While there, he, this is a dark time. He fell asleep with his left arm draped over the back of a chair and suffered nerve damage. Which oh re- no, but he's a guitarist. Yep. He so the the injury required extensive physical therapy and he subsequently disbanded Megadeth while he underwent treatment. Mm. So, I'm sure that was like probably the hardest time in his life. Uh, yep. Did they keep him clean so he never go- has to yes. go through that again? Yes. Good. So, he returned to the studio to record a new Megadeth album. Uh, it's called The System Has Failed in 2004. And he was the only official member of the band at that point. Mm. It, he only worked with... Uh, Sound engineers? <laughs> with, um, like, back out, like, uh, studio oh, musicians yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the intention for this was to be the last Megadeth mm. release before Mustaine launched a solo career. But things didn't go down that way. After recruiting a team of new band members, Mustaine announced that Megadeth would live on in 2006. And live on they did. Um, they've released five studio albums since then oh, and are wow. currently working on their new one. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, Dave Mustaine is clean. He's a born-again Christian. And uh, he's... Making he's, music. He's making music. And his his nerve damage is as much fixed as can be. I hope so. Hmm. They've, they've been nominated for five more Grammys since oh, 2001. Hmm. And they finally won one in 2017. Yay! Yay, Dave! Happy ending. <laughs> and that's Megadeth. All right. And there reaches almost the end of the show. Almost indeed. We have to talk about which album won. Which album was better? She grits her teeth because she doesn't want to say the truth. Megadeth was better. Megadeth was better. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you win this. And it's not that I don't want to say it because I don't think it was better. I don't want to say it because I don't want you to win. <laughs> Yay for healthy relationships. No joke, I think, like, Megadeth took way more risks mm-hmm. and were bolder, had more things to say. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I, like, and I get it. And they also, I, I'll give it to them, it's not their first uh, run around the shop, right? Like it is with uh, In Vogue. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, like, they, like you said, they couldn't really take very many risks. And they had, like, a lot of talent in their voices, which we know in later stuff and stuff. But, like, you're going up against veterans, Right. And they know their field, whereas most of the members of Invogue had never really even performed. This is their, yeah, like, their biggest yeah. project. Yeah. yeah, so 
But we cannot judge music albums on the music alone. Why do I always forget that we do this? We need to decide which album cover is the best, because I feel like for an album, the album art sometimes is just as important as the music. Sometimes. Sometimes. So <laughs> I've got both album covers here for En Vogue's Born to Sing and Megadeth's Rust in Peace, so can you t- let's start with En Vogue. Mm-hmm. Can you describe that album cover for us, please? Um, we have our four ladies... Um, chillin'. I think on a beach. Is it? I think they're on a beach or on a pier or something. Yeah, like, like on a beach or a pier in the background you see like... Palm trees. Palm trees and a, a, probably a hotel. And they're all in white suits. And they're just lounging and smiling with their hair flowing in the wind, crossing their faces. And it says, in vogue on the top, very large, and born to sing very, very small. Yeah. It's not a bad album cover. That's not. It's, it's very simplistic. Yeah. One of these people, look, one of the women looks photoshopped in. I was going to say the, the woman on the right looks kind of uncomfortable. Mm. The, in the middle. <laughs> she just looks oh, photoshopped. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It, it's, I would say it's like, yeah, there are like four attractive women on the cover. Like, if you don't even know who these people are, I'm sure like, oh yeah, I'll check that out. You know? Yeah. Like, look like, like model or something, I guess. I could probably do a photo shoot like this with my sisters. Oh, you could? Yeah. <laughs> And then we move on to Rust in Peace, which... Ah, look, it's Moss. <laughs> so, once again, Megadeth, um, just like a lot of metal bands, they have a mascot, and the mascot appears on the album cover, mm-hmm. usually in whatever the theme the album is. So, right. do you remember what Dang the it, name... I knew you were going to ask me. It's not Eddie the Head. No, Eddie the Head is Iron Maiden's mascot, right, right, right. but Megadeth has a mascot. He's yes. a skeleton man. What is his name? His name is Vic Rattlehead. Vic Rattlehead! So Vic Rattlehead... Wait, hold on. Oh, yeah. His name is Vic Rattlehead. No. Put that Mm-mm. Put that at the beginning. Nope. Put it. No. Um, so Vic... So, again, Rust in Peace, the theme of the album is... A lot of the songs deal with, like, government conspiracies and distrust of the government and mm-hmm. the systems and the institutions. And what is Vic Rattlehead doing in this scene here? He is holding um, a rock of kryptonite up above... An alien, Moss, who is in a tube while being while wearing a suit. He, and he, lo- he be- looks like a G-Man. Like he's yeah. dressed in a suit and tie like a G-Man, like a government G-Man. Yeah, and he's surrounded by other looking like high-ranking government officials just watching it. Is that supposed to be Nixon? In the- I will tell you who those people are. Oh. So the album artwork was created by artist Ed Repka, who previously had done the cover for... Megadeth's Peace Sells and Who's Buying, which is an equally great cover. So behind Vic Rattlehead are five world leaders of the time. So you've got British Prime Minister John Major, mm-hmm. Japanese Prime Minister Toshiki Kaifu, West German President and later President of the Unified Germany, Richard von Weissacher, Soviet Union President Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev, and U.S. President George H.W. Bush. <laughs> so George H.W. Bush is yeah. the guy on the right. I see him. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Well, all of them just watching him do do all of the the military intelligence. And then on the top, in big gold letters, um, Megadeth. Yep. So, like, the, they're in Hangar 18. Yes. So like, they're in, a, they're in, like, a Air Force hangar. Yes. Looking at this alien in a tube. Tube of alien. Which album, do you, which album cover do you think is better? You know, I'll, I'll give it to Megadeth. Yeah. It's more interesting. Megadeth, again, I always call it the, the t-shirt test or the uh, the poster test. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is such... 
you put this in your this is a poster you'd have in your room. Yeah, like, I mean I wouldn't mind heavy, that heavy metal teenager. This is the poster they have in the room. And I don't it's not uh as offensive to my eyes as I feel like most of the albums are. Even um the last one I did not like. So Yeah, his uh great album cover and I think it's just it perfectly sells what the album is going to be talking about, mm-hmm. right? Government leaders, alien conspiracies, <laughs> secrets, secrets. Yep, and that's that's our music of 1990. Yeah. Well, uh, it wouldn't be a show, kids, if we didn't talk about what we could have been listening to. Oh, yeah. Runners up. <laughs> Runners up. So we didn't have uh, too much to go into here. Um, sorry, I just saw Kindergarten Cop. I like, that's not music. So for you, love of my life, um, the only runner-up that I have for you is Queensryche's Empire. Queensryche's Empire, which is actually not too dissimilar from Megadeth's Rest in Peace. It is a concept album about uh, distrust of the government, uh, dystopias, that kind of thing. Queensryche is a pretty good progressive metal band. Hmm. We talked about them earlier. Yeah. There were two touring Queensryche bands <laughs> at one time. <laughs> this was one of them. Uh, well, this was both of them together. Yep. Um, okay, so for me, uh, I only had two which, uh, me- um, I almost said Megadeth. Uh, MC Howard's Hammer's Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. Is that the one with Don't Touch This? Yes. And that is the only reason <laughs> why it made this list. And then Belvbib DeVoe's Poison. Poison. Yep. Also uh, New Jack Swing? Yep. And also the only song off the album that I know. Uh, just in case you're wondering why in Vogue... One, it's because I only also heard the one song, uh, Hold On, but I've heard Hold On more than I've heard Hammer Time and Poison. There you go. So, guys, I don't listen to music. I- I'm going to get that. I get into music later in life, but... <laughs> what's And uh, what, what's next? Plugs? Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> hey, follow, us the show, follow the show on our social media accounts. We got a Twitter, at Media Made Show. And we're on Instagram, at Media Made Show. Uh, we always try to tweet out and send out fun uh, little things, supplemental media about the things that we talk about on the show. Yeah. Uh, album, we have polls. You can you can tell us. You can vote on which album you think was the best. Do that. Um, you can, and then, you know, share behind-the-scenes stuff. Just fun, weird things about <laughs> these things that we talk about. Um, please leave a review for the show. Give us a five-star. Helps with visibility. And just reach out to us. Tell us how much you like the show. Yeah. We also have other projects that we do because we uh, like to be creative in a multitude of ways. If you want to see me personally, I have a YouTube channel up on YouTube, which is where you have YouTube channels. Uh, it's called Taming Tales. Two words. Tales spelled T-A-L-E-S. I'm sure you've heard it before if I've said all this stuff wrong. Where I uh, write stories and I tell them to art sometimes and i vlog my experiences as i am writing a novel and such not um you can follow me personally on twitter at rod the master um just to get my thoughts on random stuff um i have i host a youtube show about professional wrestling it's called keep kayfabe that's k-a-y-f-a-b-e so if you like professional wrestling give us a shout out check us out um And if you like video games, I write for a website called ZeldaDungeon.net. We write everything about the Legend of Zelda. And if that sounds like a thing, check us out there, too. Yeah. Um, With that, that's the end of the show. Yeah, that's the end of the show. Uh, 
I hope you enjoyed it, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, join us next time as we talk about the television of 1990. Uh, once, once again, there's going to be a TV show where we're like, we're in the 90s. <laughs> this show is like uh, yeah. so 90s. Yeah, that's fair. Um, look forward to that because it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we're getting to like fully soak in the 90s. <laughs> it's happened. We started in the 80s because you like the 80s. I do but like now... the 80s, but yeah. Some, it's just something comfor- comforting. I think it's probably nostalgia. There's something comforting yeah. about the 90s, especially the early 90s. Yeah. There's something just, yeah. <laughs> it's when our, our, our taste really starts to form. Yeah. But anyway, hey, we're going to close out with the song Rust in Peace Polaris, the title track from Megadeth's Rust in Peace. Yeah, kids, we'll see you later. And remember, make good friends and don't stay in relationships that you don't have trust. That's that's what I'm pulling from this riff. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Night, kids.